Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a few great guests in the building today. I have founder and president of Indigenous Health, Michael Akinule, and co-founder and chief scientific officer, Dr. Bradford Wilson. Guys, thank you so much for being off with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, you know, Michael, we just kind of start with you right now. Um, tell us, you know, how, how this, what was the, tell us about indigenous health. What was the problem that you saw and what you're doing to try to fix it? Sure thing. So indigenous health is a sister company of a company called indigenous AI. And so I had the pleasure of meeting Yusuf Enriquez, who's the CEO and founder of indigenous health and the CEO and founder of indigenous AI, uh, early in my time. Uh, while I was at the VA. And so he and Brad um, have worked together for several years. They've they've built uh, some pretty amazing companies and Brad can talk about that. Uh, but ultimately the genesis of Indigenous Health is with uh, its original sister company, Indigenous AI. And so I'll also allow Brad to talk about Indigenous AI uh, and give a little bit more context. I'll stick with Indigenous Health on my intro. Uh, so the vision of Indigenous Health um, and the problem it's trying to solve is really to build uh, the most genetically diverse um, and the most valuable data bank on the planet. Um, and the reason it's going to be valuable is because it is going to prioritize uh, the collection of genetic, clinical, and phenotypic data of people of African ancestry. The reason this is so valuable and important because this is the very data that's missing uh, for the most part when we look at the data that's used in drug discovery, uh, when we look at people who are participating in clinical trials, and when we look at the data that's housed in biorepositories. And if we don't have this data, we're actually not as um, effective in the drug discovery process. We're not as effective in, in, in really educating people on the impacts of different drugs and medications on them um, because it's really not designed for them because their data is missing from the whole development process. And so Indigenous Health is really a healthcare technology company that's building this database and platform to really bring people on board uh, from different communities, but primarily underserved communities and to educate folks about their health risks and as part of the process of education and engagement, we'll ultimately get to a place for whoever is comfortable to donate their samples so that we can have their genomic data to combine with the rest of the data. Because with that complete data set, we can actually provide the best insights as it relates to health risk, the best insights as it relates to nutrigenomics and pharmacogenomics and Brad can tell you what all of those words mean. Yeah, so. what what is he talking about, Doctor Wilson? <laughs> First, you'll tell us a little bit about yourself and explain all of this, you know, to 
to us and, and how this is so important to, you know, African-American people? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Dr. Bradford Wilson. Um, uh, originally a, a New York native, Howard University alum, uh, <clears throat> and I'm a geneticist by training. And my research background is in health disparity diseases, um, looking at prostate cancer, breast cancer, and, and one of those areas of genomics that Michael mentioned, which is pharmacogenomics. And that, this is involving the genetics of how we metabolize and respond to drugs, right? Essentially, uh, how our body uh, breaks those drugs down and clears them from our system. The genes that are involved with that and the enzymes that are involved with that process, uh, no matter what kind of drug that you're talking about, this is the area of genetics that just specifically looks at that. Uh, another area of genetics he mentioned is nutrigenomics, and that's looking at how you, um, you know, metabolize nutrients from your from diet, uh, for example. Um, so those are just a couple of uh, specialized areas of, of genomics that can give you insight into how uh, you metabolize nutrients from your diet and how you metabolize m- medications that you might take. And those two areas are important for, you know, op- for some obvious reasons, some maybe less so, in that you can make adjustments to how you eat in terms of your diet based on this information. And the other information in terms of drug metabolism is important in terms of how medications are dosed for you. And a specific example of that is, say, for example, if you metabolize a drug slowly, that means that drug will take a little bit longer to clear out of your system and that you could potentially decrease the dosage of that drug and that drug still remain effective. Uh, similarly, um, um, if uh, you metabolize that drug slowly, you may be more susceptible, susceptible to some side effects from that drug as well because of, uh, of the way uh, uh, that the, the drug is, is metabolized based on your genetics. So that's just kind of one example of that area. But these are important things in terms of um, uh, how we go about treating uh, conditions and diseases that impact populations of, uh, uh, of black and brown folks uh, in terms of there's potentially some contrib- contribution to some of the health disparities we see that can be explained by some of these vari- some of this variation that we can potentially learn more about. But it all starts with inclusion of these populations in mm-hmm. genetic studies. And that's what indigenous AI is about. We're looking to increase the diversity in, in genetics and genomics research as well as uh, clinical trials by focusing on, you know, these uh, conditions and diseases that disproportionately affect uh, African-American and black, black and brown and indigenous communities. You know, that these same disparities that unfortunately have uh, been driving the disproportionate health uh, death rates from, from COVID-19 in these very same populations uh, in terms of the, the mortality rate being twice as high as their European counterparts. So this is one of the this is one of the main uh, missions of Indigenous AI, and um, this is the and we're we're focused on increasing that diversity across the diaspora, and we are engaged in in some some efforts uh, internationally uh, as well as here in the states, and uh, we're actually uh, going to make a pretty pretty significant announcement tomorrow. <laughs> Okay. Okay. 
Perfect. Well, and, and maybe Corey wants the announcement on his show. Although you're gonna you're probably gonna post this after tomorrow. So <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I might make a special, you know, upload. Just okay, for- <laughs> there, you, there you have it. So Brad, feel free to if if uh as long as yes, feel free is unless you don't want to, but up to you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we're going to make this announcement tomorrow. So if you if you don't if you get it up tomorrow, you'll still be in time in line with 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 our press. So I go ahead and make an announcement that we have uh, fortunately um, able to report that we have raised approximately one point one point five million dollars in okay. opening our uh, pre-seed investment round. OK. Um, and yeah, we're very excited about that from a South, uh, South African uh, venture capital uh, company uh, named Isimo, uh, excuse me, Isimo Vest uh, Venture Capital uh, Partners. And we're very uh, happy to announce that and, and we'll be doing a, a formal press release on that uh, probably in less than 12 hours. Yep, okay, that's well, right. Hey. That's right. And and so the context, Corey, is um, so the vision for the indigenous organization is to be able to take data and research all the way through to drug, drug development. And mm-hmm. so indigenous AI, the sister company, you can think of that as the the hard assets required to actually get that done. All of the lab space, all the lab work, all the equipment, all the machinery to actually do this work and then through other partners like Heloplex to actually bring a drug to market where indigenous health comes in is really all of the member engagement, drawing in all the cultural connections, facilitating a lot of those conversations. And so together we're essentially building what I'm calling what we're calling. If others want to jump on this uh, Johnson and Johnson from scratch without the exploitation. Okay. Okay. And and that leads, well, first of all, congratulations. I, I understand how hard raising capital is, especially for people of color. So congratulations on that. Um, but that this, this conversation leads to my, my next question. I've had a lot of conversation around um, the fact that a lot of treatments are created based off of, based from research, but a lot of that research are from uh, non-people of color. And those treatments are given to everybody, mm-hmm. right? And they may not be, a, they're just not effective for other populations, but that's what they have for the research. And then the convers- then the question comes up, okay, then how do we get people of color to participate in this research? Because you have those people who don't want to participate because of, you know, past American history and, and things that's happened in the past, um, you know, social determinants of health where they can't, they don't have transportation or, or the ability to uh, participate. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations around, around this as of lately. So I want to ask uh, both of you, any of you can answer this question. Um, how do we get people to, what's the solution? How do we get people to come and participate, not only for their health, but the benefit of, um, a larger community of people uh, to participate in this research. Sure, Michael, do you want to? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll start, and, I, and then I, I can chime in as well. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, in the context of what we're doing with Indigenous Health, um, it is a challenge for the life sciences industry 
uh, to get people to enroll, particularly people from black and brown communities. And that's because, you know, when when people have been surveyed, uh, there's the lingering mistrust, right, because of the history of exploitation. So here in the United States, we can look at what happened with Henrietta Lacks or the Tuskegee experiment. We look over in places like Africa, and there's just been different countries where forced sterilization has happened, meningitis testing. And so there are reasons why there's this existing mistrust. And that's part of the reason we decided to create Indigenous Health. Right. So Indigenous Health launched a Bias for All campaign, uh, which is essentially our outreach uh, to our community to basically say, we are here to be on this journey of health with you all. Uh, sign up, receive a free health risk assessment that really starts the conversation and starts the process of us collecting information so we can replay that information back in a way that's meaningful culturally sensitive and inclusive. And the goal is that as we engage people in that conversation, we'll ultimately, for those that it's appropriate, get to a place where asking them if they're interested in learning more by doing a whole genome sequencing assessment. And that's really when we'd hand over, um, not, in, not in that handover sense, but that's when we sort of marry up with our sister company, Indigenous AI, which is the asset base of all of the sequencing equipment, all of that other type of work. Uh, so with that, I will hand over to Brad to continue. Sure. And, and, and the, there is no one answer to that question, right? There's lots of answers to that question. And trust is where you begin the conversation, right? And the lack thereof. And so understanding that context and background as Michael, you know, uh, uh, mentioned and, and, and referenced, uh, there is a point at which you look at the people who are doing the research and the fact that we have black and brown people conducting this research. And, um, uh, that's one thing. And what we're doing research on, we're doing research on diseases, conditions that impact these these populations disproportionately so the research is that that we're doing is beneficial to them uh two right um uh three we are also giving people who participate in research with us the opportunity to earn or generate some revenue there's a profit sharing aspect to this work that we're doing and that we're looking to economically empower our folks when they participate in this platform, which is contrary to some what other some of these other companies are doing, and that they're taking data that they have generated and collected from folks and selling that data or selling access to that data, and they are not sharing any of those revenues of, of profits with the people that they collected that data from. So there are a few things that we're doing um, uh, and a few approaches that we're taking in just a few things inherent to our company that are different from other other companies that are out there. And the fact that this is, and, it, and it's kind of encapsulated in, in, in the campaign, right? By us for all. Mm. The fact that we are doing this research for our communities and, and the work that we're doing is directly, is directly benefiting our community in multiple ways is what distinguishes us uh, from others and what is, involved in, in getting our people engaged and to participate. And, and one of those other things I, I actually want to mention 
in terms of building that trust is engaging them about health literacy, getting people to understand, you know, how to, um, you know, uh, understand the importance of, of prioritizing your health and the impact that it can have on your health and well-being just by taking some time to prioritize and, and start to understand what your risks are, what your health risks are as a person based on things that you may have been diagnosed with and based on other risk factors like things that members of your family have been diagnosed with. So these can give you a more complete picture of what you're at risk for so that you can make some more informed decisions about your health and about things like your diet and lifestyle that can significantly impact some of those things, you know, that can really have a a big, a big, can can create a big change in, in people's lives. So there's, there's so much that we know now, for example, diabetes is reversible, right? And that's, that's a, that's a chronic illness, a chronic condition that impacts, impacts a lot, a large, that's disproportionately impacts African-Americans. But the fact is it is reversible through changes in diet and lifestyle. Yep. Right now there's a role for medication and, you know, for, for those who are severely impacted, you know, by this condition that, you know, they need to take medication as a part of their treatment process. But there, it's, it's been shown countless, countless cases where those individuals who are on medication for diabetes are eventually, they can be removed from them and then their, their diabetes can be reversed. So that's just one example of the power that this information can have if people choose to use it to their advantage to improve their health. Yeah. And, you know, Brad, thank you so much for highlighting all those points. I think, Corey, you had asked about the potential impact of not having representation in clinical trials and and impacts on adverse drug events. So adverse drug events, as you know, I think it's every two hours, someone severely impacted and dies from an adverse drug events every two hours. And so a lot of studies have been done and, and everything you raised as a concern, we're seeing it. Uh, So for an example, like Plavix, where um, the enzyme that's required to actually make the drug effective uh, is not present in a significant portion of people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent. And so when folks in Hawaii were taking the drug um, and still ending up having heart attacks, studies were done and they discovered what I basically just said, but those studies weren't done through the clinical trials process. And so what ultimately happened with a Plavix is a drug was approved going through FDA um, and FDA did not put a high enough clinical trial diversity requirement. And so this drug came to market and it literally was not effective for certain people. And none of that was made known. And so people died. Mm. Um, and yes, Hawaii got a judgment of $841 million, but people died. They right. didn't need to. And that's just one example in one community. And so now you start multiplying that. Um, and so it is important that. Um, we are part of the process from the beginning, because at the end of the day, if we're not part of the process at the beginning, we're going to be part of the process at the end, which is essentially post-market stuff where the drugs are already in the market and we're taking it right. and we think it's working for us, but we may just might as well be popping sugar pills. Um, and, and, and when I start looking at some of the disparities um, that we're focused on, something like hypertension as an example, 
Uncontrolled hypertension ultimately translates into things like kidney disease and diabetes. Mm -hmm. And those are conditions that primarily affect uh, communities of color. I think 60% of folks who are diagnosed with diabetes in America are African-American. And so when I look at that, I say to myself, is it possible that all the hypertension, antihypertensive we're taking is actually not working for us? Because otherwise, why are folks taking all these medications and still ending up with chronic kidney disease or with diabetes, right? And so the science of this is if we're not represented in the trials, if we're not represented in the research, whatever comes out of the other end, there is a high likelihood it's not going to be as effective or effective at all. And so that's why this is so important, right? Because we're trying to close those health disparities, those health equity gaps. And we're also trying to make sure that whatever is actually approved and being sold to our community is actually effective because it's not only a waste of money, if it's not, it's also a risk to the lives of the people in our community. Um, so this work is, is purposeful. It's personal to us. And it's ultimately going to be our life's work is how we see it. Um, but to your point, if we're not represented through the research, uh, high likelihood that these drugs are not going to be effective. Right. Um, doctor, sorry, go ahead. You have something to say? Yeah, if I could shed a little bit of light on the, on the science behind why that is. Yeah. When you look at populations that are um, of African descent, African populations are the oldest human populations on the, on the planet and therefore the most genetically diverse. So we are talking about the most genetically diverse populations that are the least represented in these types of uh, research studies and clinical trials. And what we see in the current research landscape is that when research that's being conducted is diverse in its, um, in the study, in its cohorts, that there are often genetic variants that are identified that are specific to certain populations, right? That if those populations had not been present in that study, they wouldn't have been identified. And a classic example of this is in terms of the BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations that are, have been identified in women with breast cancer, right? Originally, there were these variants that were observed in, women, in black and brown women that they were originally categorized as variants of unknown significance because it was not sure as whether that these they were causative for disease. But later on, uh, when the company that was doing the testing went and reanalyzed the data, they they discovered that for those populations, they were very significant and very uh, highly associated with disease. And then the hypertension example that Michael mentioned, just one more quick little point about uh, this kind of uh, d dives back into the, or goes back into the area or space of pharmacogenomics and the story of the drug Bidil for hypertension, right? The way that drug came to market was, was pretty interesting in that uh, originally the drug um, was, uh, the clinical trials were conducted on with the drug and there were, there were no conclusive results, no, no, no results of the trials of the study showing that it was uh, showing that it was any benefit. 
But when they reanalyzed a small population of African-Americans that were in the trial, it was shown that there was benefit for the drug. And then it subsequently became the first drug ever to come to market for African-Americans. I'm not sure if you remember that, but the only drug that's ever come to market. Wow. And that was the reason being was that that was the only way they could get it to market. Mm. Right? They had to they had to reanalyze and then go back and look at that population again. And in order to justify bringing it to market and then they wound up using it, what they call off label. Right. Because although it's brought to market for African-American, it's being prescribed to other folks, too. Yeah. So yeah. that was one example of how those wrote, you know, tables were turned some, somewhat, so to speak. But if you look at this across the spectrum of, of diseases and we are not, we are by and large not represented in genetic studies, even for COVID studies currently, right? These yeah. are all these studies about COVID, about variants being associated with, with severe illness, about variants associated with, with um, being um, asymptomatic. Uh, et cetera. Uh, we're not represented in these studies either. So the, the results of these studies don't necessarily apply to us. And that's the issue. That's the right. problem is that when these studies are done and their results are found that there has to be a qualification and that this, these results apply to these populations yeah. and, and for everyone else, it's, uh, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Right. right. So this leads to my next question. There's, there's kind of a story behind this, Dr. Wilson. This is for you, Michael. I've told you this story before we first met. Um, so I, I did uh, a genetic test. This was way before I, I knew about, about this. Spent about $300 on this test from this certain company. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to. They ain't paying me for this, so I ain't going to say their name. But, you know, <laughs> um, and my results came back and said I was 97% West African. Now, I could have saved myself a lot of money and a lot of time. I could have figured that out myself, right? Like, that's all it said about me. And I, I left that being very disappointed, right? And, and a lot of the, and honestly, a lot of the things it said about me was just, it felt kind of like fluff, like, you're inclined to be more of a power lifter. And I'm like, come on, bro. Like, this is not, this is not beneficial. So how accurate are, you know, some of these other companies for black and brown people? I think I probably answered that question already, but if you can kind of um, elaborate a little bit more on, on what the difference is and why are these, these companies so, um, why are people like myself or like us getting those kind of results from these other types of companies? Sure. I, I think this is probably when I, I, I'll, I'll handle this one, Michael. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, really, it, it, it comes down to a pretty simple explanation. What the results of the test can tell you are pretty pretty much based on the reference sample that they have to compare your sample to. So for example, because of the fact that you mentioned the type of report that you got, I know which company that you did not use, right? Mm -hmm. There's a company out there that can give you specifics on which tribe you are most closely genetically, uh, you're genetically closest to. Right. Right. On in terms of your maternal ancestry and your paternal ancestry. 
So based on the fact that you didn't mention any tribe ne tribal names, I, I know that you which company you didn't use. Um, but the company that you one of the companies that you may have used, they are comparing your sample to the others who have purchased their uh, their product and publicly available database information, which was based on primarily European populations. So their their reference is a European genome by and large. That's because where Africa isn't really referenced, isn't really represented well in the Human Genome Project, right? So a lot of these reference uh, databases that these ancestry companies are using to compare the customer samples to are have an, a European ancestral reference. But there, there are some companies out there like African Ancestry who have a collection of samples from modern day populations across the continent that when they do analysis, they can compare you to these present day populations and give you a, 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 a statement on what the, your likelihood of being related to these current present day tribes are. So right. they can give you a little bit more detailed, more uh, granular information because of their database. But they're not also giving you like health and wellness information, kind of like what you guys are doing, or is it? So that, right. So there is, there are lots of players out there in what we call the consumer genetic space, because this is all of this testing is not being used for any type of medical treatment or any type of mm -hmm. any type of decisions for based on any for your medical treatment. So this kind of is, lives in a different space from that testing. But yeah, there's lots of different types of information companies are giving you, like, like you said, based on your, your body type in terms of your, your you know, um, body composition in terms of your, whether or not you're more likely to be athletic, things like, you know, eye color and whether or not you can uh, taste certain uh, compounds. Right. Uh, color blindness and, and things that we call, you know, some uh, uh, different types of traits, right? Health and wellness traits. And then, we, and then Michael mentioned things like, you know, how you metabolize nutrients and nutrigenomics and how you metabolize drugs. And, and then, you know, so there, there are a bunch of different players out there who can give you some information out there and, you know, 23andMe being one of them and they have, a, you know, different reports that they can provide you on different, again, non-medically related information. And then they do have the ability to give you some, some, um, um, some information based on health risks as well, uh, because they've uh, been able to amass enough data to be able to give some, some report back and do a large enough study to give some, some limited information on genetic risks uh, for, for certain diseases like diabetes, actually. Uh, but again, if you look at their their study population, most of the 23andMe's customers were Caucasian. Mm. So again, there are some folks out there, some of our folks out there who have taken 23andMe, sure, but by and large, we're a very small uh, minority of those millions of people who purchased that, that kit. So how informative are their markers or is their test for diabetes for us? That's probably debatable in terms of how informative it is because of, again, of our lack of representation in that study. Right. And that, that, that kind of drives home the point of what we're trying to build at Indigenous Health. 
and indigenous AI. It's really looking at how do we create a representative sample? Um, and it's also about the type of technology we're using, right? So if you look at a lot of the players in the space, um, and Brad can definitely uh, provide more context for the science and the technology that they're using to do the DNA sequencing. But 23andMe literally only looks at the 23 strands, right? So whole genome sequencing is looking at the whole genome as the name indicates. And so that's gonna provide more insight. And so indigenous health, indigenous AI, we're focused on the best technology uh, from a sequencing standpoint. We're also focused on black and brown communities. And so, you know, uh, Brad mentioned African ancestry having, you know, the collection of reference samples that they have. You know, part of our mission is to make sure we, we create a reference sample of every single African tribe so that we can connect all people of African ancestry in all the places they've been scattered as a result of the transatlantic slave trade. So we look at our brothers and sisters in Brazil and the Caribbean and all the different parts of the Americas and say, oh, by the way, work with us and we'll help facilitate these connections back in a meaningful way where it's not just here's a bunch of information, go forth and figure it out. Right. But more of a, an ongoing relationship where you're on our platform to understand your health risks. You're on our platform to understand your ancestral connections and cultural connections. And then we're actually guiding the group through the whole process. So it's very exciting uh, from a cultural standpoint. It's very exciting from a scientific standpoint. Um, and we, we, we look forward to others copying what we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, the goal is the same. And if there are more people trying to achieve the same goal, we welcome it. Yeah. So in addition, I wanted to just point out one difference in terms of between what we're doing and what 23andMe is doing. So we have in total, there's about three trillion letters in our genetic code. And what 23andMe is doing, they're looking at a small fraction of your of your genetic code. What we're doing, we're looking at all three trillion letters of your genetic code. So the amount of information that we're collecting and the power that of the data that we're collecting is exponentially greater than what they have collected. And in addition, the fact that we are coupling that superior genetic data with other clinical data, that makes what we're going to do even more powerful to identify drivers of disease, biomarkers for disease, and treatment targets for those diseases. Right. So for someone to be able, their, their whole wellness journey or their whole health journey, it complete in, in one thing, they don't have, it's not chopped up or anything is, is right there. Right. And, and not, and not to mention that. So, you know, in terms of our genetic code, um, there's about a small percentage of it used is used to provide the instructions for the proteins in our body. That's essentially what your genes code for. Your genes code for your, your body's proteins. But that's about 2% of your genome. There's a whole 98% of your genome that functions to regulate that 2%. It controls how that 2%, that other 2% gets turned on and off at different points in time and responses to different things because your, your genome and your, is always responding to your environment. Uh, so based on the things that you eat, 
based on other aspects of your environment. There are genes that get turned on when the oxygen, your oxygen levels go down, right? If you're in altitude, if you travel, if you're a mountain climber, when you climb a mountain, there's some genes that get turned on when you, when you go up the mountain. So your genome is always responding to the environment. So the fact that they're only looking at a small percentage and we're looking at the whole entire thing makes what we're doing a lot more powerful. Wow. Wow. How, how can this, you know, collecting this, this genetic data and the research you guys talking about specifically indigenous health, do you feel like this can close that healthcare gap? So, okay. So the context of how we envision closing the healthcare gap, you know, they say knowledge is power. And so one of the first things we're doing when people are onboarded into indigenous health is really providing a health risk assessment. And the strength of that risk assessment improves over time, the more data we're provided. And when we have the opportunity to do a whole genome sequence, because now we can say, here are all the cards, here's knowledge of what you're at risk for. Here's knowledge about how what you eat interacts with you specifically based on your genetic profile. Here's knowledge on how the medications you take, the medications you're prescribed, how it interacts with you, and how you can ultimately start making adjustments to get to that best health outcome, to get to an opportunity to live your best life. And so for us, we believe that if we're building this platform and educating people and engaging people in a meaningful way, we're going to start understanding how they're not able to maximize their health outcomes. And then through some of the research we're going to do and through some of the revenue generating opportunities we're going to present, we're going to be in a financial position as indigenous health to actually start making investments in these communities uh, to understand how those investments can actually close some of these healthcare gaps, right? And so the context is, let's say, for example, uh, through our Bios for All initiative, We have people from a specific community enroll in large enough numbers where we can have a cohort from that community. And if we're able to work with that cohort from that community and generate enough revenue, then some of that revenue will be shared back into the community. And if part of what we understood from that study or engagement is that, let's say people don't have access to healthy food, or let's say people don't have access to good health care. You know, and this is not just for the U.S. market. This is pretty much uh, for the world. We will then be in a position to say this community has benefited research. This community has benefited indigenous mm-hmm. health. We are reinvesting into this community. And we're not just making these decisions on our own. We're making this decision with the impact advisory board that we formed that's really going to help guide um, our work. And a lot of that is, you know, pretty senior uh, folks on the policy side, on the veteran side, on the so pan-Africanist side, on the civil rights side. It's really bringing people together so that we can reinvest in our communities in a way that's meaningful, in a way that actually gets at the root of why these disparities exist. And that is a very complicated problem. It's a very expensive mm-hmm. problem. And that's why we're building essentially a conglomerate, conglomerate that's going to have the type of enterprise value and the resource base uh, to be able to make these investments. Perfect. That actually segues perfectly into what I wanted to add. And, and that in terms of closing that health gap, as you mentioned, and, and essentially driving uh, and, and achieving true health equity in terms of 
of, of the, the things that we're doing is going to involve, uh, uh, you know, action and activity at, on multiple different levels, right? Um, starting with engaging our, our folks, our population about their health to, so that they are more informed, right? And improving that uh, health literacy. And, and also um, then talking to them about prevention, right? The, 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 the saying is true. And also prevention is worth the pound of cure, right? So we could focus on health, right? To prevent disease as opposed to responding or reacting, being reactionary to the disease after it's become debilitating, right? So there's that on the prevention side. Then there's from the, the research side, the bench side, right? Identifying these drivers of these diseases in, in our populations. There are folks out there who have hypertension who eat zero salt. They've eliminated all the salt of their diet and they're been diagnosed with what's called essential hypertension. And essential just means that we don't know what it is. We don't know what's causing it, mm -hmm. right? So there are those folks. Now, clearly that's a case where we have to look at the genetics, right? Now, right. the Middle Passage, the Middle Passage can explain this, right? So coming across the Atlantic Ocean, we're exposed to ocean salt water. If you are not me metabolically, physiologically able to hold your salt, that salt water strips your water, strips, dehydrates you, right? So all of us who made, all of us who are descendants of the folks who made it over, we're most likely to be holding on programmed to hold on to our salt very tightly. Wow. And you, place that, you place that genetic background in an environment where there's all types of salt hidden in all the foods that we're eating, right? And there's an abundance of salt in that, in that food. That's, that's a recipe for hypertension disparities. <laughs> right. The recipe for hypertension disparities. So that case is genetics driving that, you know, there's a, a stronger, likely to be a stronger genetic component driving it. So we have to identify those things. That's on the bench side. And then we move it one step further to the bedside with our clinicians. Some of these disparities that we see, namely maternal and infant mortality. Yeah. Rate, those disparities disappear when the clinicians caring for the mother and child look like the mother and child. And that is the fact. So we have to address these disparities on all of these levels to really effectively close this gap and really truly drive health equity. That's great. That's great. What are some what's some what's been some of the feedback you guys have gotten from early adopters or people who have um utilized your services? What what's some of the feedback you've gotten so far? I think some of so where we're at now, uh so we we haven't launched our mobile application yet, but that's coming in a couple of weeks. But what we've seen so far in the folks that we've engaged through our website, buyusforall.com, who've actually gone through the process of signing up and they've started engaging our content on YouTube and other social media platforms, is that they feel welcomed and included because of who's leading the company and because of the way our content speaks to them, right? Not pretentious, pretty direct. Um, and, and so that feedback is very encouraging this early on, because for us, as we continue to build our technology platform, we're just going to double down on, on some of those things that people have said about how they feel welcome, about how they can relate to some of the stories that we're sharing. Because it's just us talking about why this is important to us, uh, talking about the people in our lives that we've lost, or that um, 
you know, the, the healthcare system has fundamentally just failed. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's us saying we're doing this for ourselves. We're doing this for our communities. And, and that's resonating a lot. Perfect. Uh, Michael, Brad, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast tonight. I really appreciate it. If anybody listening wanted to get a hold of you, learn more about you, uh, Michael, we'll start with you. And then Dr. Wilson, um, we'll have you get, let them know where they can reach you and, and learn more about, you know, indigenous health. Sure thing. So indigenous health, you know, website is a good place to start indigenous.health. Our campaign to engage our community is at byusforall.com. And then if you look across all social media platforms, we're there at byusforall. Right. So it's at by us for all on Twitter, at by us for all on Instagram. I believe we're also working through uh, Facebook and TikTok and, and really just trying to build out uh, a social presence uh, so that folks can reach us. Uh, they can share their why um, this matters to them. Uh, so we're we're building out a lot of content uh, that really just captures the reasons why people are participating and engaging on this mission and effort. Perfect. Dr. Wilson, where can, they, where can people find you if they want to learn more about genetics or just kind of connect with you? Sure. Um, I guess, you know, professionally, LinkedIn is a good place. Uh, there you can just look me up, uh, Brad Wilson, uh, PhD. And um, uh, I can, you know, email is also another option. Uh, Bradford at indigenous.health uh, is, uh, is a place that you can reach me there. Um, and yeah, we'll be looking to, There'll be more, again, as Michael said, there'll be more information coming from us forthcoming in the next in the next couple of weeks. And that'll be lots more information that we can be, you know, share with our community and, and start this process of engaging and, and doing the things that we've been talking about. Awesome. Well, men, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me tonight. Again, I really appreciate it. Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll highlight you next time.